Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. Oh gosh, I'm glad you came. I didn't know if you would. I spoke to my PR woman and she said Madeline Ashton goes to the opening of an envelope. Oh, those people can be so cruel. I fired her. Well, I almost fired her. Today we're drinking the potion with 1992's Robert Zemeckis comic horror extravaganza Death Becomes Her, written by Martin Donovan and David Cope. Bruce Willis is being fought over by Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, the poor love, with bloody consequences. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. We would appreciate it more than the gift of eternal youth. How far can rivalry between friends stretch? How much of a toll does the crushing pressure to look a certain way take on our relationships? Have you ever found your head turned the wrong way? Joining us in the pool is friend of the pod, the fantastic actress, singer and writer, Deb Tracy. Deb, so wonderful to have you back to discuss this brilliant movie. Oh, thank you. I am very, very delighted. Oh, my goodness. And I love this film as well. So, yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, Deb, tell us a bit about your relationship to this film. Well, this film, I remember very specifically, this film, it was a marketing, it was a marketing extravaganza, not just a a, a visual extravaganza. I remember at the time, I don't know if my timelines are correct, but from what I remember, I remember being about 11 or 12, and I remember seeing Batman Returns at the cinema at the Odeon in Birmingham, uh, which was just like the mecca for all film, like, you know, if you're growing up in the Midlands and just love watching the big screen. And I remember after watching Batman Returns, seeing this big life-size um, cardboard cutout of Meryl Streep, Goldie Horn, and Bruce Willis, yeah, with Goldie Horn with the hole in her stomach and Meryl Streep with her head on back to front. And I remember just being absolutely polaxed by it and going, oh my gosh, I have to see this film. This, this, this is amazing. <laughs> so that literally it has enamored me from childhood just because what is this? It, it, <laughs> it, it just ticked every box. It was glamorous. It looked kind of spooky. It looked kind of sci-fi. It looked, it covered all bases. So very smitten with the film. Um, I remember being take like begging uh, my mum to let me see because it was a PG-13 at the time. I was a little bit younger. So actually we got around it by like, you know, when you have like older siblings who babysit, but they're just like, look, just don't, don't like, you know, stick your finger in a plug or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my older sister... <laughs> Who's in her late teens and touch? She's like, yeah, I'll go along with you, um, and went and absolutely. I, I was, it was a film that absolutely lived up to its hype because I remember it being really heavily uh, marketed. I remember it being all over movie games and videos. Do you remember that show on Saturday afternoon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, movie yeah. games and video. Yeah, and it was just yeah. And I remember it just. And I remember just thinking, right, I have to see it, and just thought it was incredible. And um, even now, watching it now, and again, I know that. Any pod listeners born after 1998 are probably going to watch and be like, well, is these special effects? You could probably do a TikTok and do these kind of effects now. But I think that they still hold up. And I think that the excitement and just kind of how incredible the visuals were of that film back then, I, I can... I can remember the excitement. I can just remember how how brilliant, thinking how brilliant it was. And I still think it's brilliant now. It's just I kind of adjust my filter and pretend it's 1992 and it's and still still appreciate it. When you say that, I mean, this film won an Oscar for the special effects ahead of it did, it Batman did. Returns and the Alien 3, one of them. 
absolutely went to the right film because it was just so innovative. And I think now when, you know, with our modern, with our modern heads on, when we watch things, you know, which previously were kind of, you know, visually or, you know, a, a, a computer effects, sort of real, real sort of innovation or, you know, groundbreaking effects, we might be tempted to say, oh, you know, it's a bit naff. But I think there's something really lovely about the fact that, yeah, it is, it's not quite as seamless and uh, and as polished as it would be now because it's something that's a really new technology and there's still that sort of human element of kind of making things handmade. So, you know, there was CGI and, you know, it was one of the first films that actually have like computer generated skin, which is why they could make the effect like, you know, someone breaking their neck or, you know, getting their stomach blown away. But also there were like these great animatronic and prosthetics as well, which, so I think there's something very lovely there about meeting these, you know, sort of the old technology and the new technology. A bit like my 15 year old laptop that I'm talking to you on. (laughs) (laughs) But again, I think there's there's something very, very lovely about that, that again, there was lots of sort of care and, and real precision that went into it. It's not just all digital because now you could just, you know, you could create something that was a horror comedy and you could make it, you know, you could pretty much do anything at all. And it would just be a case of just kind of doing it via computer, doing it all in post and maybe not even needing real actors at all, which which is quite a scary thought. Actually. I guess when you look at this one and when you have Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn in particular. Yeah. You know, the, the scenes where their body appearances change, and I'm not just saying about the de-aging, but also yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, got Goldie Hawn in her padding, for example. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that that, that would get, be done differently. They never now. quite get fat suits right, though, I've noticed. <laughs> her fat suit is yeah, very Monica and Friends. Like, it's not quite... And again, maybe it's a Hollywood thing. Maybe they've never actually seen genuinely chubby people, but... <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. That's probably what it is. Because when they show like her bum, it's like that's not what a chubby person's bum looks like. That's not what anyone's bum looks like. It looks, it you know, it looks like they're wearing a fat suit, and it it does make (laughs) you think, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn absolutely act the socks off each other. I mean, it is it is just like celebrity deathmatch pun intended <laughs> when it comes out I mean Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep she's legendary but I think Goldie Hawn I and I please don't don't come and do mentions to me on, on Twitter because I will mute you I hands down I think that's <laughs> the best thing that Goldie Hawn's ever done I think it's her best screen performance I think she she is brilliant it was something that really new as well I mean I grew up watching things like Private Benjamin and, and Cactus Flower and she was kind of like you know, the ditzy block but actually to see her do this dastardly role yeah. As this, like, you know, pretending to be the Dixie Blonde, but actually she's she's probably the worst. She's probably the most psychopathic <laughs> character in the whole thing she, because she's utterly deranged. And uh, I just think it's a masterclass in, in screen acting. It's a masterclass in, in, in comedy acting. She's fabulous. Really, really, truly, truly fabulous. Yeah, well, my, my favourite uh, Goldie Hawn performance is in the first Wives Club. And I don't think she would have made that if she hadn't made this, I think this paves the way to that performance. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it kind of gave her something. Yeah, it, it absolutely gave. But again, she, I, I, I think she's superb in this and it is my favourite. She is brilliant in first one. But yeah, absolutely, I, I agree. I agree. I think it paved the way and kind of gave, 
I don't know. Gravitas seems like such a patronising word because everybody has gravitas. It's obviously a huge star. But I, I think sometimes when you're very, very famous, it's really difficult to convince people you can do something else. I mean, it's like Matthew McConaughey taking that massive sabbatical yeah. and not and not doing sexy leading man roles for a good while and turning actively turning things down to kind of give people a chance to reset and and then come back and do something completely different so yeah I, I think I think very much that that's kind of what Goldie Horn's done and um I, I just think she's brilliant in it she she's she's like my favorite my favorite character and I I love Bruce Willis mm, and I, yeah. I, I, I he's a walking seal of quality I have loved Bruce Willis since Moonlighting Days I remember watching that Cannot stand Ernest. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Don't get me started on Ernest. We're gonna have to talk about Ernest, aren't we? Oh yeah. my god, Ernest! I mean, I didn't like him then. I like him even less now. I mean, where do I start with him? He is just spineless, mm. awful, awful guy. Wow. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, his fiance takes him to a Broadway show. The Broadway show does suck. And then absolutely just gets completely taken in by Madeline and leaves his fiance and just shacks up with 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 Madeline and just again like there's no and no there's no kind of comment on on his moral shortfalling there. It's all No, there isn't, is there? I mean, like Madeline is an awful person, but we know that from the get-go. Like she she's incredibly narcissistic, but she she is who she is and she doesn't actually apologize for that we know exactly what she but Ernest should should know better he's just, just the worst well, Madeline and Helen's supposed to be school friends I think from from what they, they said I, 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 the backstory with them I I'm assuming that that Helen comes from a wealthy family and she's probably sort of she's she's sort of well to do because uh, because you know later on we find that this massive beef that they've had is like literally just the most vacuous, stupid argument. Like they literally like having like death pacts and you know wanting to kill each other. And it just turns out that Madeline's always felt slightly inferior around Helen's posh, fancy friend. So I'm assuming that Helen comes from a well-to-do background, and I suppose Madeline, being this this actress, slightly louche, seen as slightly common. That's what she takes as a you know as her that's what she's really sensitive about so yeah I, I i imagine that they go way back it doesn't really go into detail but i kind of like again i like that ambig ambiguity and there's something about shallow i don't know i don't and again i do realize that i'm really generalizing i don't know if men do this but you do see in in certain female friendships this kind of vacuous frenemies and it's like well why do you even talk to this person like if you're if you're mm. with a person who actively makes you feel really crappy and they're vile to you why do you hang out with them but yet they they just have this like disgusting boomerang dynamic they can't keep away from each other it's like they can't have a success in their life without making sure the other one knows it's like it, it, it's it, I, I find their relationship fascinating and and, and you know I, I, I'm so glad we're talking about this their relationship and by extension the relationship with Ernest but I haven't finished with him I've got more to say about him <laughs> oh yeah it's it's definitely a, a an unexplored or at least it's not it's not explored enough this idea of that toxicity as you say no, in certain female that thing where she says to her um I think you know she says to Madeline, oh yes I 
uh, I, I, t I told my agent, yes, she comes to every opening, the opening of an envelope, you know, and I, I, and I fired her. <laughs> oh, well, I nearly well, I thought, fired her. I nearly fired her, yeah. And just, yeah, and just the backhand, the jellyfish compliments, like, oh, Helen, mm. you have, look at you. Like, that's, that's always like a kind of toxic female friendship thing, is it? Look at you. Well, is there a compliment in there? Look yeah. at me. <laughs> Look at you! <laughs> like I'm, like, I'm acknowledging your appearance, but I don't actually. I can't begrudge. I'm begrudging giving you a compliment. It's like, yeah, it's, like it's so. Oh, it's so disingenuous. It's just like, oh my gosh, brings me out in hives. But I think we've all encountered, had these encounters, and we all encounter people who are like that. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, you know, I think that this is one of the reasons why uh, Jane Austen's work is still so popular. People oh think. Because People it, think it, that it's because the, the the central love story, you know, and there's elements of that. I think that's true, but a lot of it is because Jane Austen was really good at writing those kind of dynamics. Oh my gosh, yeah, 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 and just the the the, the cringiness of it. It's just the yeah. oh yeah, it, you know, in 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 sort of in in, in so-called polite society, and just and yeah, lots of, lots of the most sort of cringy events happen at functions you know at nice smart functions I yeah so accidentally there's lots of smart Hollywood stuff. I mean when um, Vivian goes to um thank Ernest for doing a wonderful job on on her on her dead auntie and Ernest <laughs> just starts talking about the fact that he uses mannequin paint on dead skin <laughs> and vi the look on Vivian's face just the oh my <laughs> and the fact that he would have just carried on talking it wasn't for the fact that Vivian was so horrified. But again, it's like these these moments at polite parties, at polite soirees, that are just a cringe, perineum set to cringe. Yeah. So that's that's just a that's just a guy talking about his podcast though, you know, to a random oh, woman yeah. in a bar. So. Oh god, oh, we've, we've all been there. We've all been there. Rich, do you do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Ernest in it? Because this is Bruce Willis. This is your guy, oh, you know. Yeah. John, uh, John McClane. Wanna... <laughs> no, and Rich, I'm here for you. Listen, I, I, you know I will support you, Rich. I'm usually I'm ride or die for Bruce Willis. This is post Die Hard, pre um, Pulp Fiction. He wasn't your kind of action star in the way that Stallone or Schwarzenegger were. In that he came up from Moonlighting and and had a bit more of a a comedy or sort of lighter acting yeah. background like you said he'd he'd come off die hard and i think he'd done a couple of films that hadn't done so well so like hudson hawk the last boy scout and then this was as he was going into that phase where he was doing pulp fiction and the sixth sense and things like that so again moving away from that a little bit so i think making that character in the way that he did this kind of that strange combination of weak-minded in the way that he went from Helen to Madeline and spineless but also with that ability to sit there and plan his wife's murder yes so this, you know so, so it's trying to juggle the two and he, it's a very fine line because you know he's obviously given up his career to be with her but no one told him to I mean well that's exactly no one told him to do any of these things like he could actually just yeah it's just yeah. and then he resents her for it and and we're the way it's presented is that he's done all this he's just kind of gone oh i'm gonna take the easy life and yeah. whatever skills he's had before and he's a a renowned plastic surgeon and has just gone to spray painting dead bodies um i mean he can do that for free i mean you know he he doesn't seem to take any accountability for any of his 
choices. He he thinks he's he's just a victim of these two harpies, but it's like, mate, you have a choice. So when Helen's talking, like trying to talk him into their murder plot, and he's saying, "Oh, so it's self-defense, is it?" Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I've got an excuse yeah. now. Yeah, he's he's waited for this, but he's wanted someone else to kind of come in and it, again, it's really interesting, and it, and I do, and it is testament to Bruce Willis as an actor that he would do this role where he's I've I've never seen Bruce Willis look so unattractive, and I do realize it's really shallow. We're not supposed to judge actors just by their sexual attractiveness, but Bruce Willis with a shaved head in Pulp Fiction, like that is like he's fabulous. He's sinewy. He's you know, he's tan, he's chiselled, he's, he's, he's rugged. Do you remember his guest appearance in Friends and Lisa Kudrow has this absolutely fantastic line where Ross is um, dating, um, slightly dodgy storyline, but Ross is dating uh, the student Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, yes! Oh, that is, yeah. Elizabeth's father is being played by um, Bruce Willis. And, oh, my gosh, um, yes! And, and Phoebe oh, says, oh, hi, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad to meet you. I can see where Elizabeth gets her rugged handsomeness from. Oh, my God! <laughs> very good again he just seems like this this really just yeah the, what's the word um madeline calls him flaccid flaccid and he just he's just really flaccid and fluffy and yeah just ooh, yeah he's 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 not a likable character at all and it takes a lot of guts actually i think to play a character that doesn't seem particularly likable and actually doesn't really does he? He doesn't really get any sort of redemptive arc either. I, well, mean, I suppose at the end, at, the, at his funeral, they're kind of suggesting that he went on to become this sort of great human being, is it? But that that was that that was another ending. That was Robert Zemeckis did that ending because test audiences didn't like the original ending, which would have had like no. It, it, literally, it's just Ernest getting off scot free because the original ending was that he escapes from uh, Liesel's party uh, and he meets a bartender played by Tracy Ullman, um, ends up with her, and and then it just and then twenty seven years later happened to bump into Madeline and Helen living together in Switzerland um, and, and he just kind of gets to swan off into the sunset with a non-Hollywood wife who kind of does everything he says, <laughs> which is like kind of, well, where's, what, what lessons has, has Ernest learned here? Uh, I, I, you know, he kind of gets this happy ending, which I really don't think he deserves. He didn't, he doesn't get any, I, I don't think in this ending he gets it, he gets his, his kind of just desserts. But... No, but I think no, that, that, that yeah. was nice for, um, Helen and Madeline to be the kind of Statler and Waldorf at the end. Yeah, yeah. That, that was yes. the kind of, I guess that was the amusing bit of it and getting to see them bitter together. Well, yeah, well, that that brings me to, um, you know, the point that I kind of, I, I absolutely think, I do think, I mean, their relationship, it's obviously this kind of folly adieu, this kind of, yeah, they, they're just like the, the worst type of boomerang couple you could ever imagine. You know, and I think, and I think so. I think, and I, I have to be really mindful because I don't want to speak for a community that I'm not a, a, a member of. But I can absolutely see kind of how queer coded this film is, and why, you know, drag queens and a lot of queer artists have just completely taken to Helen and Madeline as like kind of being really iconic in very much in the way like Patsy and Eddie are iconic. Mm, yeah, because they they are they have this just this fantastic dynamic where they are utterly themselves and they're clearly made for each other and they do just kind of 
I suppose you could call it, it's like a conventional marriage because they argue all the time. I don't think they have sex um, and they live in the same house and they're just, yeah, they're just always like just tearing straight. So they're just, it's like for all intents and purposes, they end up in this kind of, in this relation, they are made for each other. I don't think anyone else could could come into their, in, into their sort of, into the bubble that have created. And even the fact that both of them have been with Ernest and on the face of it, they're fighting over Ernest, but he was literally just the, the, the sort of the battle dome. I don't think it was about him because neither of them really care about Ernest. Ernest mm. is just a conduit by which they can just do horrible things to each other and plan to kill each other. And, you know, Ernest was just a way for Madeline to be spiteful to Helen by nicking him off her, you know, by seducing him. And then, you know, um, Ernest just becomes a way for Helen to completely eradicate Madeline, you know, when she decides to, you know, that she's got to, that she must die. But again, it's like kind of, and, and just the fact that they just kind of switch as well, because they decide, they have, a, they have a talk, they have like a short conversation, and then they're best mates. And it's like, these people are ridiculous. The ending, I think maybe is is one of the things that I find kind of, difficult about the film yeah. because I feel slightly as if the, as if Ernest gets to be the kind of moral center at the end when we hear the eulogy and and also maybe there's a slight kind of subtext of kind of upholding conservative values which is also maybe a little bit why I might have a problem you know like at the end of Back to the Future there's a slight tension with that as well too so it sort of runs through some of these movies and um like if I compare it to something that I think it probably did influence a bit, which is um, one of my favourite films, which is Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> at the end, <laughs> at the end of that film, in comparison, they get to still be themselves. They don't yeah. turn into completely different individuals. Their, their, you know, their friendship is still sort of just obviously a bit kind of crazy and a bit dysfunctional, but yeah. great. And they, and they get to kind of triumph in a small way. Yeah, on um, their own terms. Yeah, well. on their own terms, exactly. But but essentially, they don't they don't get punished for being what they are. Yes. Or who yes. they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I, I'm with you on that one, Kat. And I think, in some ways, the alternative ending, as much as it annoys me that uh, Ernest just gets to swan off into the sunset with Tracy Ullman. I don't know where the Tracy Ullman be, but she's great. She's great. But yeah, okay, we'll go with that. But um. What's great, what is good about it, you'd probably find the alternate ending more satisfying because Madeline and Helen still looking fabulous and they just travel the world. I mean, they're bored, but that's them. But they just travel, you know, they go to they go to, to Paris, they go to London, they go ever, you know, they, they travel the world and they're together. And yeah, and, and, and they kind of, they scoff at the fact that Ernest is kind of settled down and he's, he's you know, he's living out his, his golden years. Yeah. with you know a regular wife but <laughs> I, I, that's kind of more satisfying yes definitely what I would expect uh Madeline and Helen to be because you know they're badasses yeah they're, and you're they're, I mean don't get me wrong they are vile but yeah. they, they're not they're like like Romy and Michelle they don't at any time claim to be anything the, apart from what they are yes exactly it's so interesting that you should mention absolutely fabulous because i think that also started in 1992 and it is the dynamic is very similar you're right oh absolutely I, think, yeah. I, was in, I was in i was in the film i was in the movie did you Were like you that's so cool oh, i was in Abfab the movie sadly i mean my scene got cut but do you know um there's the whole subplot where um eddie thinks that she's murdered kate moss 
and she's and, oh, and, but she, 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 she well, but in in the in the movie, she thinks she, she's murdered Kate Moss. She hasn't. Sorry, guys. Spoilers. Sorry. The film's quite old now. You should have seen it by now. <laughs> she hasn't murdered Kate Moss, but she thinks she has. So she has this whole dream sequence, which is um, Orange is the New Black, and um, I played uh, the convict who's kind of based loosely, but don't want to get them sued. <laughs> based on crazy eyes who, who basically just starts bullying uh jennifer saunders it was brilliant so i got to put jennifer saunders in a bit of a headlock and you sn- smell her hair and stuff and just generally that sounds terrible that's ex- oh that's so brilliant that's what one of my childhood heroes there so yeah literally that whole time i have usually i don't i don't kind of get starstruck and, and things like that, but i was starstruck that day and yeah. um, it was it literally, it was just like a one day filming. Sad that it didn't end up in the final cut, but you know what? I don't, you know, just got to meet my heroes. And also I think um, when I was leaving Pinewood that day and just to see Jennifer Saunders and um, Joanna Lumley, and I said, bye everyone. And for them to turn around in the makeup chair, looking like Eddie, as Eddie and Patsy go, bye Debs, bye darling, bye. <laughs> literally, <laughs> I could have died and gone to heaven right there. I have a hole in my stomach! Yeah. And you're still alive. That's another miracle! Oh, no, it isn't. Rich, I was thinking that, that, that Bruce Willis's choice to play uh, Ernest in, the, in this film is a little bit similar to Ryan Gosling at this point in his career playing Ken. Yeah. Kind of, sort of a bit. That thing of that, taking a back seat to the... To the yeah, he, yeah, he kind of, I mean, we, we joked about it on the Barbie episode we did that he's essentially a, Ken was Barbie's reply guy. And <laughs> <laughs> and, in, and here, you know, he exists as their kind of, like, like Deb described him as the kind of battle dome. He's the kind of why they're arguing, but ultimately he's not. Um, and, and it's their their friendship and relationship that really is the crux of that. But I mean, he kind of exists to move the plot along a lot. And, yeah, yeah. And especially at the beginning where he is the possession that Helen is like, she's going to take you from me. She's going to take you from me. Oh, cut to the next scene. Yes, they're getting married. So th- there is a lot of that. And I think he has enough, I say Bruce Willis has enough, but Ernest definitely doesn't have enough self-awareness to realise that He's there for no reason other than he's just reliable. I guess um, yeah. Merid- Meredith has all these lovers dotted around. You know, the fact that, I mean, I, I guess a lot of men might get off on the prospect of Meryl Streep shouting flaccid at them regularly. But I think... Um, <laughs> you know what? I, th- I think, I think that there's a market for that. I think absolutely. that would be... That's if it was now, she'd be on Cameo, you know, obviously like 5,000 <laughs> pounds a time to, to be have Meryl Streep shout flaccid at you. <laughs> And especially having that, and when he has these kind of evil tendencies, and you know, he starts talking about murder and killing and all this, and he becomes almost like a bystander in his own story, yeah. where where he's killed Meredith, he thinks, and even though he's trying to recover elements of his kind of doctor surgical background, he's still just this hapless kind of, oh well, you know. I mean- school did he go to he's the most like he's, he's the most incompetent doctor i've ever seen <laughs> i went i went to the uh, american school of plastic surgery um, hey, but, um... I mean, oh, <laughs> you're like completely clueless as to what to do <laughs> and and 
yet he's the one and, and again there's another kind of the other side of things we can talk about how and we joked about it on Notting Hill when you've got Goldie Horn and Meryl Streep who I think at this point were probably in their early to mid 40s yeah. and, and they were essentially desperate well more Meredith desperate to kind of retain her youth keeping up her appearances within Hollywood and Ernest is able to resist it because he kind of has this sudden kind of oh but what does it all mean you know this yeah. kind of great this great meaning of life speech at the end and Bruce Willis is able to turn down Isabella Rossellini in a sarong and a couple of I know oh she looks incredible oh my gosh mm. What an appearance, I have to say. I mean, that, that, is, that is someone who just turns up and then just seals the film. I mean, it's it's taken... Literally, she is a whole... You could do a whole pod on her. Literally, she is, as, as Lisa's, who is just... She's quite, quite marvellous. That is the kind of life that I would like to live, actually. And <laughs> Absolutely. She, just, she has, like... She has, <laughs> she has, what I love is that she her henchmen... Who are clearly, I don't know, like henchmen, maybe sex slaves, servants. We don't know what we're calling these guys, but she just has. And again, they, they're the only thing that really dates the film, I think. That that style of like macho man with the <laughs> mullet and the rug chest hair, the mullet, the rug chest hair, cycling shorts, the little sort of crop top things with the nipples out. And it's like, <laughs> like you could. The only thing that makes it, yeah, this film is 1992 because, yeah, the idea of like a macho, sexy man is like. <laughs> they look like the WWF funny. wrestlers of the day. So warm, so full of life, and already it ebbs away from you. This is life's ultimate cruelty. It offers us the taste of youth and vitality, and then makes us witness our own decay. Well, it is the natural law. No, screw the natural law. It's really interesting you were saying about um, ageing in Hollywood and kind of how there's still the pressures now, I think, you know, as an actress myself, I mean, it's not, I'm not a Hollywood standard, but there's definitely, there's definitely pressure to look a certain way or to be a certain way. But it, it's really interesting. It's, do you know what, Kat? Um, did yeah. you see on Twitter the other day, someone, I forgot who tweeted it, but someone was tweeting about kind of how, you know, we all, we've always heard a lot about kind of the, the invisibility in inverted commas, the invisibility of women over 35. I mean, we all know um, Amy Schumer with the last fuckable day. Sorry, can I say that? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that is what it's said. That is what it's called. I'm not swearing. Yeah. Like, but that's what, but we all, we all know, you know, this is kind of, there's this, this invisibility cloak that's supposed to fall on a woman after the age of 35. But someone made a really important point that, well, it depends on who you want to be visible to. Yeah. Doesn't exactly. it? Yeah. Um, because don't, you do not become invisible at all. I mean, there are, I think you, there's lots of people who would argue that, literally this is when we're getting our most we're being our most interesting and it's and it seems such a shame Madeline and Helen they never get it that they're how interesting they don't act, they, it never they're, they're resplendently beautiful and I think it's a deliberate choice in that throughout the film uh, apart from the, the both of them look fabulous I think yeah. they, they look yeah. resplendently beautiful but don't get it they don't get it they're, they're pursuing this holy grail of being young you know, and the moment, actually, the, the, the only time we sort of see a little bit of vulnerability with Madeline is when she starts having a meltdown in the beauticians. 
and she starts having a meltdown at Anna, um, at her 22 year old skin and her breasts like rocks, which I don't think I'd want to have breasts like rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but she just starts having, you just see for a moment the emotion come through before, you know, before she makes this Faustian pact with Chagall. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, but you don't realise that, that you're gorgeous and also you're accomplished and, you know, it's kind of, you don't, you don't, you don't want to be visible to people who are chasing 25-year-olds. No, exactly, exactly. She goes, she goes to see that, that the boyfriend, um, I've forgotten his name, what's he called? But you know who I mean, the young guy. She, I mean, that, that, that I, I do feel sorry for her there because she feels so wretched because she, yeah, she is cheating on her husband, that is bad. But she's going to her boyfriend and the boyfriend's in bed with, you know, a, a young girl. It's just making her feel even more trash than she already is. Yes. And then, he, and then, you know, to kind of get, to kind of help him with his own feelings of guilt, he starts you know, telling her to find someone her own age. But again, it's like, you don't know your audience. Like, why are you choosing people who are not going to appreciate you anyway? It's, it's, it, it's, it's one of the tragedies of their characters, isn't it? That, Yes, it's that thrashing around, trying to fi find a way to control, you know, your your life and in, in a way that's completely futile. It's almost like a it kind of ha it's better when it happens sooner rather than later, when you just kind of decide. And it, for, for women, but I think also for men, too, for everyone, when you just kind of you decide you just don't give a crap. It's because yeah, you know you're yeah. gonna get you're gonna get criticised if you look your age you're going to get criticized if you don't look your age whether you're older or younger you, literally if you put on a few pounds if you lose a few like you are not you are never going to please everybody so you might as well just please yourself yeah and, and, yes. and it's so freeing when when you I, I kind of made that realization around about my early 30s it was brilliant when I was like hold on I don't gotta do anything I don't Completely. I don't I don't have to have anyone in my life that I don't want to, them to be there I don't I don't have to look a certain way to please certain people who don't, you know, even care any, literally it's, it's something very, very freeing. And it's, um, you know, and it is, it, it's kind of tragic that Madeline and Helen never enjoy their lives when they have fantastic, like they're accomplished, you know, author, accomplished actress, beautiful, wealthy, presumably well, they can have the pick of anyone and they don't, they don't, they don't appreciate it. Well, that's why it's really good casting for this film, I think, to have those two, because I think that you're very conscious watching it, that you're watching, um, uh, that you're watching Meryl Streep. Yes. Play a character who, yeah, is, is unable to recognise that her worth lies beyond these superficial elements, when we all know that Meryl Streep, we don't think that Meryl Streep is fantastic because Meryl Streep is beautiful. We think that she's extraordinarily talented. She's Meryl, yeah, she is, and she's, yeah. she's brilliant, yeah. Uh, so I think that the casting with her in particular, because she's so incredibly respected, like make, mm. really underlines that yes. point in quite a clever way. And also, um, just coincidentally, after I watched this um the other night i then saw that um italian vogue had released their latest cover and it was a completely untouched picture of 71 year old isabella rossellini looking oh my goodness, so chic yeah she looks so gorgeous was it laminated <laughs> <laughs> oh rich <laughs> We can't talk without at least four 
three or four friends references in there. <laughs> no, it's it's true. But I did I think one of the reasons that this film has become more and more popular and why it simultaneously feels more relevant but also kind of more uncomfortable to watch now is that it preempts um something quite real so when it was made yeah you know people could have cosmetic surgery but um now you know developments have become so much more common and um accessible and 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 also even just things like um sort of instagram filters and and all of the ways now in which we've all got to manipulate we're all Madeline Ashton now, all of we us. We are, yeah, absolutely. And that's why, as I say, that's why it's it kind of carries more weight as a movie now because it makes you feel... Oh, yeah. And I don't know if this is the case for you, Rich, as a guy. Uh, I don't know, but... No, no, answer, say guy with more sex. <laughs> <laughs> as a guy? I'm doing... I'm doing this I'm what doing we're calling you? Oh, God. <laughs> but um, it's certainly... There's... It certainly makes me feel uncomfortable, but I mean, I, th- I think I think good art should make you feel uncomfortable um, in yeah. many ways. Uh, but because it's yeah, playing on all of those insecurities that you have yeah. as a woman yeah. about kind of how you're meant to be presenting yourself to the world and the and the way in which, I, I mean, I love the bit at the end when they're or towards the end when one of them's peeling and the other one kind of says it's okay it's just maintenance we just have to keep on top of it yeah. and I thought yeah that's yes. kind of that's exactly kind of what it feels like that's sometimes. what we're all doing that's what we're all doing yeah <laughs> you know it's not I I, I I we're all guilty I I, I uh, if someone takes a picture of me to put on Instagram we'll talk, let, let's have a let's have a look oh totally, you know, totally. Stick, stick, a filter on, stick a filter yeah. on that please yeah um, absolutely I, but, but, and, and and I and I do tick myself off for, for doing it but it's like you know it's you it's absolutely permeated every aspect of our life whether we like it or not it's happened and actually I think also you know that comedy is always the first to age badly but I think death becomes her the fact that it's still so watchable and so relevant now it is it's it's been quite prophetic the reason why I mean you you know it's so vacuous and so shallow but literally now if you watch dance mums or or any of the you know all the real housewives franchise of which there's probably about 600 or you watch the kardashians or like any kind of reality show of that ilk and that is literally what what that is it's just it's just it's just death becomes her the series isn't it yeah because it is just usually women really really made up wearing really expensive clothes bitching over nonsense like literally talking (laughs) about bloody nothing but nothing like you watch an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and it's like, what happens in the episode? I can't tell you, but I've sat and watched it for an hour. It's it's, and maybe, but I don't know. I'll need these brain cells when I'm old and in the care home. But you know, you watch it and you're entertained, and it, people are in nice clothes, and and I, it's very much that world, isn't it? It's it's people people. I mean, literally, the Kardashians fight with each other. They have cat fights. I, don't, I mean, they probably are staged, but. Yeah. You know, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they did start fighting with shovels. That's the only thing. Do we think is the film is the film steering sometimes too close to that that sort of trope of women essentially are there to fight fight over men and to be worried about their appearance and that's kind of ultimately what they bowled on. To. I mean I you know. can tell, yeah. I mean, again, no disrespect to the writers, but you can you can kind of tell when things are when when whenever I've watched or whenever I've, I've consumed a piece of media or a piece of art 
where the women don't seem to have a very rich inner life and and that usually is because there's no women involved in writing it and that's not to say that you know you know women of course can can be vacuous and silly and daft and all these things yeah of course yeah but um yeah I think sometimes it does and again you know because it's a mainstream Hollywood movie and it kind of has to be has to all be neatly wrapped up within two hours and yeah absolutely I, I agree with uh with the point uh made earlier that yeah it, it, you can always kind of tell who was you know which administration was in power in America at the time when you watch films you're like hang on yeah the, the Republicans were in power it was Bush wasn't it because yeah, it, yeah, it's all, yeah yeah it kind of neatly sews up and it's yeah and it does have a slight Republican flavor doesn't it um, you know, all, all, you know, the popular films of the time. So um, was Clinton about to come in? Then he probably was that. Yeah. Well, he, he, was, that was, he was elected. That was George Bush Senior, yeah, wasn't it? Ninety two yeah, yeah. or before? Okay. Yeah, just before him. But um, the shovel fight isn't one of my favourite bits of the film. It's probably yeah, it's probably my least favourite bit of the film because it is just a bit like, oh right, yeah, now they're fighting. I'm glad it's kind of it's mercifully brief, and yes. and they make up and then we kind of get on with the story again. It's kind of it's just there and it's like. Not particularly funny. <laughs> well, it's, it, it was as funny. I mean, this was around the time as well of Bottom. So that kind of... Yeah, yeah, you know, You'd expect the frying pan to come out. Very true. Boom. Very so, true. Yeah. yeah, very true. Goldie Horn got a cut on the face, which, which is still there, apparently. It's very faint. But she sustained a cut to the face from that shovel fight. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. God. That's which, I, which I read about. Yeah, which is like kind of, oh, gosh, that's not, you know, did they not think to have prop shovels? You know, you know they have the budget for it. <laughs> they have to use real shovels. Um, um, one one thing I did think about and that the film reminded me of, and I don't know how intentional, just because it's in similar circle, was um, mm. in the last few months I watched Sunset Boulevard. And, oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, you kind of think there it was an ageing actress who still had dreams of kind of having that either return or or whatever it was and yes. and when when the i know i know the the quote around was it the actress who took the potion and said i just want to be left alone i think that was, yes. was that Gre- greta garbo I mean, yes was yeah it? yeah um, but you can kind of see it was there were elements of that as well and i, I do kind of it's nice to have these little links and again the, that film ended with a death spoiler can can you spoil a film that's that young? But even I mean, even you know the deal that uh, Liesel gives that you have ten years of fabulous unchanged beauty, have you quit, and then you have to just disappear, and it's like well, it's a bit crap, isn't it? You know, you've gone to all this trouble. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I'd love to know what what what. How much do you think it did cost? How much? How much? What, what do you think the figure was that she wrote on the paper? Well, um, I'm not sure because um, Helen said everything I had, and it was yeah. Cheap. I I think it's a bit again going back to Pulp Fiction. I think it was like, like I think the piece of paper said like your soul or something. Or well, it was just it was just a suit a, a briefcase with a light bulb in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's it's something that yeah, because it's different for every person. So I think, mm. and again, it's it's something. I think it's like something probably otherworldly and a bit. It's all a bit Faust. I mean, we don't know who Lisa is. She she is. I don't know. Is she the devil? What is she? Who is she? Where does, get, where does she get the, the 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 potion from? You know, what is you know? It's so many questions. <laughs> I love Sydney Pollock's scene. Oh, he's fantastic, isn't he? 
Oh, he's he's fantastic. He's the oh. common denominator in so many of my favourite films, Cindy. But he's either either creatively involved or he pops up out of nowhere, and he's always so good. Yeah, what yeah. a treat he is! Oh my gosh, I mean that whole scene is just hysterical, and again, so dark. So dark. Well, like, it's absolutely pitch black, isn't it? <laughs> like the humour there. That is gallows humour to the power of ten. Yeah, well, I I like that one because it's the there's a sort of moment where the kind of cartoon violence meets realism in that. Yeah. Scene. So yeah. he's reacting to it as an actual person might react to. It. Yeah, and, and there's some there's yeah there's a sort of brilliant very dark tension about it. Yeah. It's like, well, Doctor, what's wrong with me? And and he starts expecting he has to take out his heart tablets and stick one under his tongue before he starts. Talking. And it's just it's an absolute dream, isn't it? It's oh, just it really is. Yeah. It's he's fantastic. like one of those. He's like one of those YouTube videos that go through like Die Hard, for example. And say, well, he'd have he'd have died here. He'd have died here. He'd have died here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And literally, yeah. So he, he, uh, clearly, a logical man, a man of science, and literally. A member of the undead is sitting there, and he, his poor ticker can't take it. I mean, oh, it, it, but yeah, he, he's just fantastic. That is a treat. That is, you know, absolute chef's kiss. Ten out of ten. <laughs> really, you, you said the thing about um, Sunset Boulevard, Rich, which I think is really true. What other film? Because I feel as if this film, you know, it's like a big budget film with a big director, and it's almost like it's channeling films that previously might have been yes. sort of smaller budget things like sort of John Waters films or something you know yeah. it's like writ, writ large like what what other films do you do you think kind of fed into um, how this came to be Beetlejuice yes I think yes that was a, like, especially, especially yeah. with the the effects and 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 I think the way that um Madeline and Helen kind of had their injuries and also then learned to kind of work yes. around them yeah, I think that that was the big. I mean, that was that was only a couple of years before this to us, but um, yeah, yeah. But even yeah. so, it was that that was the kind of one where, that made me think, oh, this is very much like that. I mean, how how intentional that was, or just a, a a byproduct of how it was made. I don't know, but that was that was when you think of a film that combines Sunset Boulevard and Beetlejuice, you kind of think, okay, well, yeah, that'd be interesting. Very special that. there, and again, elements of um, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. definitely. But, but yeah, just, just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, but again, all the best. But, but again, you know, you know, I, I always talk a lot about adjusting my filter. I mean, um, one of my favorite films, probably arguably one of my favorites of the entire 1980s, is Trading Places. Yeah. But I know how problematic that is. Every single scene is problematic. <laughs> I'm talking about it here in 2023. Um, but what I do, I, I adjust my filter and, and I still enjoy it for what it is. And I laugh like a drain every time I watch it. And um, very much with this film, I, I, I adjusted my filter to make up for the fact that, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to fly today. But, you know, it, it, you, you just have to. You, you have to. It, it's, we know that um, big studio system, they want stories that are going to be a certain way that are going to you know end nice and pat nice pat endings they don't want to go too deep into you know mm. i would love to know if it was a john walters film um you know or something that was a bit more indie you'd you'd see that you know the origin story of liesel it would be cleverer wouldn't it you'd know hang on it wouldn't just be hang on what's this supernatural thing up you'd probably see the reason why it was so dark and it, yeah you yeah. see this has to stay as a bit of popcorn it's got to be just something to enjoy it's got to have 
enough family appeal for it to work for the big studio. So I, I totally, totally get that. Yeah, and I think it is trying to delve into something that is is in its own way sort of a you know a kind of feminist issue you can you could so it it goes into an interesting place in a way that a lot of mainstream yeah, movies don't soft, yeah. so the soft bald republicans don't get spooked yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh the absolute garbage fire of tweets that i saw when barbie came out and it's like goodness gracious me can we not just have a film where we've got a woman in the lead and can we not just talk a little bit about no all right okay so yeah it, 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 I think it was it was very cleverly done um but definitely yeah. yeah I mean I think that Barbie is sort of um it, it kind of plays on some of the same themes and about about aging about whether or not you want to choose to live forever as Barbie or become a human. And, you know, there's only one way to go if you're a human, you have to die at some point. And are you gonna opt for one or are you gonna opt for the other? And so it's a very similar kind of um, choice. Oh, but as you say, because you've got um, perhaps one of the, you know, the, the things that comes from having someone as talented as Greta Gerwig and a woman sort of you know being part of that writing team and directing yeah yeah you, you are able perhaps to kind of explore it in a in a maybe more kind of um, complex yeah, and just, way just having it. a different uh perspective on it yeah yeah exactly well i'll tell you what kids uh, we there's a kind of odd thing here you, your wrist as far as i can tell is uh it's fractured in three places and uh, you've shattered two vertebrae because I can't really be certain without an X-ray. But uh, the the bone protrusion through the skin—that that's not a good sign. And uh, your body temperature's below eighty, and your 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 heart stopped beating. And it's just—it is just campy, and it's silly, and it's really bad taste as well. I mean. I mean, John Waters would have a field day with it, but it's it's terrible taste. I mean, you know, a woman falls down the stairs is completely broken. It's, it's awful. Ernest, when he actually does try to strangle Madeline, that is probably a hard, that's probably the hard, that's the bit that doesn't really transpose that well. I My filter has has the most problem with that because it is, yeah. because it is just blatant, just violent. And I don't care how vile she is. It is quite horrendous. It's horrendous what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, because it's just so campy and so silly and she's like, oh, I fell down the stairs. If it wasn't so camp, it would become something dark to the point where it wouldn't be a comedy anymore. Yeah, it's very kind of Joan Collins in Dynasty or something. It's that yeah, kind of very vibe, much so. Very, yeah. yeah, but it goes that one step further because it's like, oh my God, someone's neck is broke and he's just <laughs> thrown away with a shotgun. I have to say, I find that extra beat that they do with the falling down the set the falling down the stairs going on that extra beat that's fantastic like, so, it's so funny yeah. oh my gosh yeah incredibly like incredibly funny oh, save me oh no what am i doing and just, <laughs> a wimp. <laughs> when you have someone who's such a living legend you know that they're just doing it just because of, oh do you know what this looks all right i'll do it it's a bit of a laugh and i, yeah. and I think it's fantastic that they have such a sense of fun and such a sense of, of just kind of you know wanting to do something just to still entertain and just tell really fun stories I, I re that really makes me respect she has the utmost respect anyway but just it just really makes me respect someone even more I think so many comic actors are brilliant at doing um dramatic roles or to sort of you know sort of straight serious roles like Jim Carrey people like that but it, it, but it, I think the crossover, it's harder for someone who is known as a dramatic 
uh, actor with sort of that heavy gravitas to then do something a lighter, sillier comedy comedy sketch. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it's it's disastrous, isn't it? Sometimes it's like, oh gosh, this is awful. Yeah, because I think some people might think that it's easy to make that transition, but I think it's it's so hard to have good comic timing, isn't it? It's well, so that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's kind of De Niro, who is a legend. Don't get me wrong. Again, people listening, don't like start <laughs> tweeting me up now. De Niro, I think, is an absolute legend. But you know, try try to do sort of something a bit comedy-ish. Midnight Run, not my favorite. Not my favorite one of it. I know, I know, people do like it. But again, it's like that. That's a case in point where you've got someone who is a phenomenal dramatic actor didn't quite work when they're doing something that's lighter, and you think that maybe if they're giving it to someone who has maybe more comedy chops, it could have been an entirely different film. Do you know what they do to soft, bald, overweight Republicans in prison, Ernest? I'll get the shovels, dear. I am currently in Matilda the Musical, which is playing in the West End at the Cambridge Theatre, and I am playing everyone's favourite librarian, Mrs Phelps. So yeah, please do come and see. Fantastic. It, and it, it, it's wonderful. I mean, it's the eight-year-old me is absolutely freaking out because I absolutely adore Roald Dahl. Um, I adore Matilda. I remember getting it for my um, ninth birthday, getting the paperback book uh, when it came out and just loving it. So it is, it is a dream job. What do I see? That's the question I'm most afraid of. One that asks me what I'm really made of. Well, as we trip down another flight of stairs and try to remember where we parked the car, we wish you an autumn filled with spine-twisting antics. And now, a warning. Now, a warning! <laughs> I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And I've been Deb. And this has been Don't You Want Me. I see me, I see me, actress, woman, star and lover, sister, sweetheart, slave and mother. I see me, and I like what I see. Virgin, temptress, dream of others. Yes, it's me. Yes, it's me.